0: This week on the Back Table Podcast.
1: You want to talk about retention. And I would suggest that because the pathway to becoming an IR technologist is so varied, um, sometimes people are ill-prepared for the challenges and the expectations of the field. And that can definitely lead to feelings of inadequacy and frustration and disengagement. And... If you look at studies that focus on technologist burnout, they frequently talk about how technologists don't necessarily feel respected in their field or they don't feel like they're identified as clinicians. And, you know, I would really challenge my co-technologists to work toward changing that perception by seeing ourselves as you know, I wholeheartedly believe our physician colleagues see us, and that's as a requisite to the future of IR. I think that, you know, pushing for shared expertise and engagement is the hallmark of a highly functional IR team. And I think that by sort of demanding these things, we, we can get there.
2: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Backtable Podcast, your source for all things interventional and endovascular. You can find all previous episodes of our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, and on Backtable.com, and pretty much any podcast platform out there. RadPad radiation protection products, developed by physicians for
0: physicians, and clinically proven to protect during CINE and digital subtraction angiography. Don't bet your health on anything less. Trust RadPad Protection for all your interventions. See RadPad.com for more information and contact info at RadPad.com to learn more about radiation safety CME credits for you and your team.
2: This is Aaron Fritz as your host this week, and I'm really excited to introduce our guest today, Andrew Strukin, uh, also known as, oh, I'm going to be calling him Mandy throughout, and Alicia Haralak. I got that right, Alicia? Nailed it. Perfect. Both from uh, UVA, Department of Interventional Radiology. Welcome, guys. Um, and. Uh, yeah, no problem. This is a long time coming. And I know a lot of our tech audience is excited. We we just put out a survey and, and we did get a lot of feedback from technologists who were really wanting, you know, more, uh, you know, tech focused episodes. So I'm glad we were able to, the timing is perfect uh, to answer, answer to our audience. Um, and also AVIR just got done and uh, we got, you know, we love the support from from our tech audience and from the AVR. So really appreciate you guys coming on. Just to jump into intros, I, I did want to separate this episode out into three main sections to cover uh, when it comes to, you know, the, the main focus we wanted to talk about was, you know, retention of, of techs uh, and also, you know, recruiting and, and training. So I did want to separate the episode into those three we'll start kind of with recruiting and then maybe go into education and training and then follow up with retention. And then we actually have some questions from the audience that we're going to address at the end. So real quick though, let's,
0: I want you guys to give some intros about yourself. Let's start with you, Andy. Uh, my name is uh, Andy Struken and I have been at EVA for, well, I guess almost four years now. Um, but prior to that, I was at the University of Iowa for nine years in the IR department. Um, I am a board-certified VI technologist since 2008, and just loving the field and all that it brings to us and the patients. Great. And Alicia?
1: So I actually graduated from the University of Virginia's radiography program in 2007, and DVA has a dedicated um, technologist training program for technologists that want to pursue structured education in interventional radiology. It's called the Charles J. Tagmyer Program of Interventional Radiology and Special Procedures. So, I graduated from that program in 2008, and I worked at UVA as a staff technologist until 2015. Um, at which time, I became the program director for that program, and I've been serving as the program director ever since.
2: Very cool, and thank you for the intro, guys. Um, as you guys probably know, there's a lot of you know outpatient-based practices being established across the U.S. Um, and one challenge that I've heard. Is being able to recruit good staff, and I'm sure you guys, you know, have this issue at, at UVA as well. I know you you have your own training program, but you probably also like to recruit um, from outside sources. Maybe you could tell us a bit about how you guys recruit and what goes into that process. I'll, I'll start with you, Alicia.
1: Sure. So, in the world of technologist education, interventional radiology is considered a post-primary pathway, and so what that means is that. Any technologist who's ultimately interested in pursuing a career in IR first has to become credentialed as a registered technologist. Um, that credentialing comes to the ART. And in order to qualify to sit for your diagnostic board exam, you have to graduate from a J-CERT accredited radiography program and you have to hold at minimum an associate degree. So for us who are in the field of intervention radiology, I think that um, it's important that we're doing our due diligence in as these students are rotating through their radiography programs. Um, We're being really aggressive about exposing them to the field of intervention radiology. We're making sure that our divisions are accessible. Um, We're making sure that um, if they're having any sort of regional meetings or there's opportunities to visit these colleges and share more about the modality, um, that we're taking advantage of that. I think that, you know, Andy can attest to this, and I'm sure you guys can attest to this. Once a student comes into the field or is exposed to intervention radiology, usually this the field can recruit for itself they're really excited about being involved in something that's so innovative they're really invo- um excited about the idea of transitioning from someone who is diagnosing um issues to actually being involved in the in the treatment spectrum so i think that those are some good starting points
2: yeah i, I you know i think that's a really good point i think we probably all had that experience where you didn't even really know what ir was until right. you know you watch that first taste procedure, and you're like, "Wow, I d- had no idea this existed." And, uh, I, and Andy, though, I want you, I want to hear your input on on the whole recruiting process as well.
0: Yeah, I mean i I think it's I think it's fair to say that recruiting is um, it's easy to get people in. I thought I feel like into the field. Um, I think the toughest part is retaining them, keeping them engaged. Uh, you know, because just for personal experience, you know, I. I thought I would go into CT or MRI. And I went to Andrew and I was, I was just hooked immediately, you know, didn't realize that you could even coil a cerebral aneurysm through a little hole in your groin, you know, all the really cool things that we can do. So I I don't think that it's necessarily a recruiting issue. I think it's, I think it's more deep than that. Do you guys do a lot of job
2: fairs? Uh, do you guys use social media for recruiting? Or are there any sort of other than through the training pathways? What other ways do you guys get the word out there? I'll start with you, Alicia.
1: Um, so we do try to speak to local radiography programs. And I will say one of the sort of bittersweet things about 2020 is people became less hesitant about virtual meetings. Um, it seemed a little foreign prior to 2020 to reach out to these reach out to programs to say, hey, we'll host kind of a webinar and, and let okay. your students be exposed to interventional radiology that way. But that sort of, you know, in the last 12 months, that sort of became the norm. And so it enabled us to, to increase our outreach from just the local regional programs. I We don't use a lot of social media, but we do, um, we do rely heavily, frankly, on word of mouth. Um, technologists are hungry for education and they are hungry for the type of education that they feel is going to enable them to contribute meaningfully to outcomes. And so, you know, we have students who have graduated from our program and they've either gone on to other institutions or they have crossed over into industry. And, you know, our industry partners are really good at directing folks back to us. Former students are really good at directing folks back to us. The AVIR, other professional organizations like that, you know, there's a heavy emphasis on tech education through those folks. And so, we do as much as we can to be involved in spreading the word.
0: Yeah. And I think um, just a couple of things that she hasn't mentioned yet, but um, we have created a brochure that we've sent out to to local areas, uh, local extra schools, hospitals, that kind of thing. And we also have a website that surprisingly we had, uh, we have what, 1500 hits. I don't know if that's the last year or what that is, but a lot pe- a lot more people visit that website than, than I think I expected. So, so we do have a little bit of online presence, um, but, but nothing, nothing officially other than the website. Yeah. And so wh- where would you say that the major sources
2: for you guys in terms of where do most people come from of all those different sort of avenues?
0: Go to Alicia.
1: So for us, our recruitment does stem heavily from our IR program. We've graduated about, let's just say over 200 technologists since its inception in 1973. And I think somewhere in the neighborhood of 90 or so of those folks have stayed on at UVA. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. And so we have currently in our division, we have technologists who have been there, you know, they graduate from the program and they've been there one year, five years, 10 years, 15 years, 25 years. And so we do have a tendency to get folks to to plug in. I will say, um, you know, being completely transparent in the past several years, our recruitment pool has gone down. And so, you know, we've relied heavily on this source of technologists for, you know, over 50 years now, but the recruitment into our program has gone down. And so we've had to step back the past couple of years and take a look at, you know, why that is. And right. one of the things is, As the field of IR has grown, and like you said, you have these outpatient clinics popping up, you have all of these different sites that are um, trying to recruit high-level technologists, a lot of institutions are offering on-the-job training. And it's hard to look at a 21-year-old and say, no, 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 you should give up another year of your life and come hang out with us as opposed to just going straight into a job now and starting to receive compensation for your training. And I think also factoring into the client, um, is a really important point that in 2009, education for diagnostic radiographers evolved, and it used to include hospital-based certificate programs, but it evolved to exclusively becoming a, a career that required a college degree, which is really awesome. Um, but again, it it helped it impacted us because you have these kids who are taking on a much higher financial burden to start their career, and so. When faced with the opportunity of pursuing structured education as compared to going into on-the-job training, um, a lot of them are electing to go the -the on-the-job training route.
2: Yeah, that's a good transition to like covering the education of a technologist. Can you give us just kind of a, um, you know, an overview of the structured, you know, training program versus on-the-job training and those different avenues
0: of how somebody would arrive at the same place? Does that make sense?
1: Yeah, totally. Andy, do you want to take the lead on this one to start or?
0: Um yeah, I can I can kind of talk about my program and then we kind of transition to to what UVA offers. So as you know, at University of Iowa, what I did was I went through a two-year X-ray program. Um, and then after that was finished, you can have the choice of going into a modality, you know, CT MRI, so on and so forth. Um, and to do that, you know, you apply for the program get in and uh, it's really variable on what what that structure is. Um, for example, my my class were, work was only uh, self-study two days a week, uh, and then you had clinic time the rest of the rest of the week. Uh, as for UVA, Alicia, you can probably talk more about that.
1: Sure. Um, so the way the program is set up at UVA is it pretty closely mirrors um, a fellowship. And what we mean by that is you you have structured, um, and dedicated time during the course of your week for didactic lectures and instruction. And then the rest of the time is uh, clinical experience that happens under the guide of technologists and physician mentors. So it's a 12-month certificate program. I think it works really well. <laughs> uh, I <laughs> feel like I could have finished stronger than that.
2: <laughs> no, it's all right. I mean, you know, so, but I, I like the analogy to the fellowship because again, it's a one-year program you go in there, like really for us as IR, you know, as you guys know, everything's tradi- uh, transitioning to IR residency, but right. you know, the way I was trained was, you know, five years of re- you know, radiology residency, then you do your one-year fellowship. Well, during that one-year fellowship, basically you're just trying to get as many reps in as possible, right? right. You're trying to scrub as many cases as possible so that you can make the most out of that one year you have. Um, and so, it, I mean, can you speak on that as it, it's kind of similar
0: yeah, with with UVA's program, I think I think it gives you the best of both worlds, right? Because you, you can kind of combine the uh, the best part of the on, jo- on the job training, where you get your hands on things and you get a truly impact patient care, um, but you also have, and I don't I, I don't recall if Felicia said this, but uh, we have dedicated classroom time that are given by uh, UVA, you know, techs, sometimes they're nurses, um, MDs. Uh, but but really, what it is is it's structured education for specific things, such as anatomy, uh, procedures, interventional equipment, uh, diagnostic equipment. You know, all of these things have dedicated lectures given by us. So uh, you know, you're not just picking these things up piecemeal in the clinical area. You're you're actually getting classroom time to do this. You know, and uh, one of the that we do that I think is really really handy and 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 Really, uh, builds up the the base of our tech group is we have this Thursday lecture, usually led by Alicia, but but there's um, been MDs and and nurses, and and I've led a couple of them, but but basically you you talk about a topic, and it's sort of like a mini M M&M and M where it's a very safe spot to learn and ask questions and. And have input through all the team members. Uh, so, you know, having something like that, I think is is really important to, to build up the base knowledge of your tech group.
2: So at the end of that year, you walk away with some kind of degree, with like a degree or certificate? You just talk on that?
1: Sure. So at the end of that year, you're going to walk away with a, a certificate and you're also going to be prepared to it for your ART board. And so, again, the your vascular interventional board is going to require you to have X amount of um, procedures under your belt. And then also it's going to be um, obviously an exam that tests your knowledge on interventional radiology. And, you know, I will say uh, in 2020, the national pass rate for that board was 59%. Um And in my opinion, like that, that's not a reflection of the effort being put forth by text, but it rather highlights the necessity for consistent, formalized training. And, you know, I know that a big part of the focus of the conversation today, um, you know, you want want to talk about retention. And I would suggest that because the pathway to becoming an IR technologist is so varied, um, sometimes people are ill-prepared for the challenges and the expectations of the field. And that can definitely lead to feelings of inadequacy and frustration and disengagement. And if you look at studies that focus on technologist burnout, they frequently talk about how technologists don't necessarily feel respected in their field, or they don't feel like they're identified as clinicians. And, you know, I would really challenge my co-technologists to work toward changing that perception by seeing ourselves as you know, I wholeheartedly believe our physician colleagues see us, and that's as a requisite to the future of IR. I think that, you know, pushing for shared expertise and engagement is the hallmark of a highly functional IR team. And I think that um, by sort of demanding these things, we we can get there.
2: Yeah, and can you give me an example of, So that's the the pro the structured program. Can you give it me an example of on the job training and how that works? Are they? Is this just somebody uh, a technologist who um did you know a, a radiology technology a technologist program and then just got trained uh you know within that hospital uh and how how does that pathway work
0: yeah so um i think the the easiest example to come up with is you know you have somebody that was a you know diagnostic x-ray tech you know uh and whether there's an opening or they just want to change or whatever you know they they go into the ir department and Um, sort of pick things up as they go along. So um, there's not, there's very, um, very variable degrees of what that looks like. You know, some, some departments do it really well and uh, some departments do it as well in terms of of actually, you know, sending these people down and talking about anatomy and talking about equipment, you know, it could just be a, okay, you open this for this case or you open that for this doctor um, you know, it's, it's hard to say exactly what kind of, um, education that they're going to receive. So it's very difficult to translate whatever you learn at that place to another institution. Right. And then they
2: might go, can they still go sit for the test even though they didn't? Yeah. Program?
0: <laughs> very good question. If, if you, sorry, Alicia. So if you have the requis- requisite number of procedures, um, then you can, but, a lot of smaller hospitals that you know might not have the infrastructure that UVA does they they tend to do it on the job and and they may not have all of those procedures uh in their in their caseload
2: okay and then um for people like me who I, you know I, I'm in private practice, and so i many of the hospitals that I have worked at are shared labs you know you share with cart with cardiology and a lot of times. Those are uh, techs that uh, really have, they, they, you know, have zero IR training They're They've done, you know, cardiac casts like their whole career and, you know, they get thrown in with us and they roll their eyes and, you know, <laughs> and it gets a little, it can get a little hairy, um, yep. but we train them, right? We're like, okay, this is how you do a, you know, Plurix catheter. This is how you do a transhepatic liver biopsy. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and they have the basic, they know how to handle wires on the back table and they know how to do, you know, basic, the basic stuff. And they just needed a little bit additional training. A lot of them, you know, are, are excellent too, but how does that work? Because, you know, what's the difference between though, because those, a lot of us in private practice, those are the tech technologists that we work with that really have had no IR training. Right. Like, Mm -hmm. what? like, I guess my question is, you know, what is their background? Because they're, they're primarily cardiac Mm -hmm. cath, cath technologists. Go ahead, Alicia.
1: So it to- it totally depends. It's completely varied. Um, they could cardiac cath technologists. They could be credentialed in um, cardiovascular uh, interventions, or they could have potentially been cross trained by that hospital. Um, and I I want to be very clear here that um, I have met many many technologists who are um, have been trained on the job and have been exceptional at what they do and. And Absolutely. someone is when someone is trained on the job, oftentimes, you know, it's just because they didn't have the opportunity or the resources available to them um to pursue some sort of some structured training. And so in no way do I want to be disparaging to any of my colleagues. But what I do want to do is I do want to say, you know, a lot of us are are working in labs where we're not able to fill jobs or not able to retain folks and how can we as a technologist group like what are some of the things that we can do to change that and so you know there are technologists who like you said they're exceptional at working the table they're exceptional at anticipation but i would challenge that there are moments where if you had a little bit more from your technologists if your technologists understood a, the bigger picture you know companies organizations they're always saying everyone needs to be engaged everyone needs to be working towards the same goal And sometimes we don't have the luxury because of the level of training we've received. We're not necessarily conscious of what the goal is here. And so while, you know, we say, okay, we're doing this transcegular liver biopsy. And so I'm going to provide X, Y, Z. If let's say, um, you know, if heaven forbid, you know, you rupture, you rupture the hepatic vein or, or something deviates from sort of the template. You know is that person able to identify that because they have shared expertise in anatomy and, and pathology and they're able to say, this is what's going on. and rather than be reactive, I'm going to be proactive and I'm bringing things in here to to solve this problem. Um, you know, we've had many situations where, you know, um, academic institution, the fellow is getting rocked, and he is, you know, we have a I don't know say splenic laceration coming up from the ED and he's somewhere else triaging another patient. You're on call and it's the weekend and you just very quickly as a technologist, you go to that CT and you say, all right, let me start with my access. Oh my goodness. Someone put an art line in the right femoral or the right external in the field. If we can't go that way, let me go ahead and set up for left femoral access. Um, Because I know it's not just get access and put the catheter up and, you know, whatever. I know that we're caring for a patient and I know what the end goal is. And I know I have the autonomy as a technologist. Go ahead and set the room up on the left side. So when patient comes in, there's poles everywhere and blood and pressers and XYZ. Um, you're just, you're set and you're ready to go. Cause again, there's, there's shared expertise and there's shared engagement. So I'm not sure. I feel like I went off on a little bit of a tangent there and I'm not sure if I answered your question.
2: No, for sure. And, and you hit on some points that I want to also get to when we get into respect and, and uh, retention. But um, you know, I, I guess uh, one one of my questions is what is the because i'm oblivious uh, what is the education what is the education of a cardiac cath tech versus what you guys go through cuz we already covered that if if you can just l- let our audience know because there's a lot of we have a lot of private pro- uh, practice audience and they you know a lot of them are probably oblivious like me knowing okay i know what an ir tech what their training is now but what about these guys that i'm working with in the lab that are primarily doing cardiac work cuz they're not they're not diagnostic radiology trained, right? They don't have that
0: foundation, right? Usually. Yeah. So you definitely have a piece of that, right? Uh so there's there's a couple of different certifications that people can get. There's um RCIS, uh, which I'm I'm not super familiar with, so I don't wanna speak uh, you know, not intelligently about it. But um as Alicia pointed out, there is um the C uh the CI certification that you can get from ART, which would be um, a rad tech background. Okay. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Cause there's the rad tech background and then there's, because I think you you can, I think you can be a nurse or or some other, um, you know, allied health professional and get the RCIS. RCIS. Okay. Mm -hmm. And that's probably a separate test from the, it is. Yeah. Okay. Yep. It's a completely different, uh, um, governing body. Gotcha.
2: Okay. Yeah. And just to kind of clear that up and, um, you know, uh, I can, we can provide some resources and links to, to our audience in the show notes afterwards, uh, in terms of these education pathways, just in case we get people listening who, you know, they're maybe considering this as a career choice and, um, mm-hmm. you know, just to kind of put that information out there. So let's, uh, if you guys are, um, anything else to add in terms
0: of education before we kind of move on to retention? I, I kind of want to just echo Alicia there. Um, I want to be, I also want to be clear. Like I am I'm in no way disparaging, uh, on the job trained techs. I think, you know, there's, I'm positive that there's one that's, that'll blow me out of the water, (laughs) but it's, it's just one of those things where I think if you, if you know more about the procedure, you know more about the background of the why, I think it just helps the team in general. So, you know, there's, there's on the job training, um, that people get and receive that, that effectively answer those questions. I just think it's very, um, it's incredibly variable uh, what kind of education you're going to get. Yeah. Gotcha.
2: So in terms of re- retention, le- you know, I think the 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 thing to probably address first and foremost is what are kind of the universal factors that go into job satisfaction? Uh, Alicia, you want to address that?
1: Sure. So I think that you know one of the the universal factors for job satisfaction is um the feeling that you are
2: contributing
1: positively to you know when we talk specifically to healthcare a big job satisfaction is going to be the knowledge that you are positively contributing to a patient outcome and then also another one is i think it's a defined role you know techs want to feel or individuals i guess they want to feel that they know what their role is they know what they're capable of they know um, what decisions they can make autonomously. They want to know when they need to reach out for feedback. And um, with technologists, I will say that sometimes that, that line can be a little bit blurred. Um, so I think that, that being autonomous as a clinician, I think that being respected in your role, those can both lead to a sense of fulfillment.
2: I was just talking about, uh, we. I, I talked about that at AVIR. I just gave a little talk about you know, burnout and passion projects. And, you know, one of the univer- one of these factors that goes into job satisfaction and preventing burnout is just that, like you said, that sense of aut- autonomy. Uh, when you go to work, you know, you have a say in clinical care. You're not just a, a droid who is there to, you know, coil the, the wires on the back table. You know, it's right. like you're, you're helping making decisions. You're helping train the the tr- the fellows and the residents. Um, you guys are, you know, um, uh, talking to the patients, having those, those important interactions that all goes into that feeling of autonomy and, um, but, uh, it, you know, and then we, we talked about respect. Yeah. I don't know if you wanted to touch on that.
1: Yeah. So I think that, again, that respect comes from the feeling that your opinion and your expertise is valued. Um. You know, I've had the good fortune of working with a lot of great IRs over the years. And um, it's always been really neat. You stand in the room and you're watching, uh, you know, Dr. Engel, Dr. Matsumoto, Dr. Wilkins, you know, Dr. Arslan, uh, Dr. Dake um, care for this patient. And you know this individual is responsible ultimately for whatever happens to this patient in the room. But they respect your opinion and your expertise and your years of experience enough that they're going to pause and they're going to ask your opinion or they're going to take your suggestion. Um, And I think that that, you know, that keeps people engaged. Most IR techs, they come into the field because they say, again, here's an opportunity for me as a technologist to meaningfully contribute to um, a patient getting better. You know, it's not just taking a picture or I'm sorry, uh, taking an x-ray and, and diagnosing the problem. Here I am actually working alongside someone to do something about it. And I do think that, you know, as technologists, we have to respect ourselves um, enough to say, I want to be a part of this team. I want to be a part of good outcomes. And so I need you guys to, to take time. I need this to be a culture in our lab of t- uh, that promotes technologist education, that identifies that, um, I have something to offer.
0: Right. Andy, anything to add to that? Um, yeah, just kind of explore the engagement thing a little bit more is, um, you know, I I feel like if, uh, techs feel like their opinions and suggestions are heard and valued, the more likely they're going to stay engaged. You know, I think it's, I think it's incredibly important for IRs and other, uh, minimally invasive procedure lists to recognize and encourage their techs, um, for, for input during or before or even after a case, um, you know, even, even if the suggestion isn't, isn't pertinent or doesn't work, like it should be recognized that they are making the effort to be engaged. Um, you know, and if, uh, on the con, on the, on the other hand, if it's immediately dismissed or disparaged, you know, it can be a massive blow to the morale. Um, so I think <laughs> that will likely prevent a tech from making future suggestions. Um, yeah. Yeah. The under- oh, sorry, Andy. No, nope, Go for it.
1: Um, I was just gonna say, um, kind of addressing one of the elephants in the room, a lot of us have lost excellent technologists to industry. And um, you know, and again, you can look back at Dr. Dodder and Bill Cook and you know, from that first collaboration, like IR has always had an intimate relationship with its industry partners. But I think that some technologists who don't necessarily feel like they're meaningfully contribute to outcomes. Um, maybe they, they see an industry uh, person come in and they say, Oh, look at the, the way that that individual gets to collaborate with my physician and look at, you know, they're, they're walking them through the deployment of that endograph or they're showing them how to set up that rectum device or whatever. And, And they're like, that is the level of respect that I want. And so that can be a draw to technologists. They can say, you know what, I I don't feel like I'm doing it through this route, but maybe I can do it through that route. And, you know, I would remind folks that a lot of the individuals who are guiding physicians through these procedures, um, they might not have had a medical background, but what they did have is they did have training and education. No company hires someone and expects them to just walk a physician through you know, this is how this product was designed. This is how it's constructed. These are all of its applications for use by just hanging out with another uh, rep and getting that exp- exposure on the job. You know, they have dedicated training, and that again, that dedicated training and the confidence and the autonomy that comes from that is what empowers them to feel like they can they can speak up and they can confidently contribute.
0: Yeah, and 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 I'm going to jump in here as well. So. Uh, I think one thing that techs can do if they're, you know, kind of wanting to get to a level is, is they can case plan uh, their next procedure. I think that is an excellent um, uh, thing that somebody can do to build some confidence and build some trust in, in your, uh, you know, your MDs. Uh, So I think that's something that's very easily attainable and very easily um, something that you can use to, to grow your knowledge as well. Um, and then one other thing that I did want it to to mention in terms of um, you know uh, respect and and how how it re- how it uh, pertains to retention is uh, I, I think workload is something that needs to be addressed as well for sure. You uh, basically you have quality IR texts that that tend to have considerable procedure and inventory knowledge, um, and the demand for their time and expertise has grown as the, um, you know, minimally invasive procedures have increased. Um, This results in, you know, an increase in workload, but not always an increase in staffing. Um, The increase in staffing can lead to more stress, which, you know, eventually may cause other people to uh, look for other opportunities if that stress is not relieved. Yeah,
2: yeah, exactly. And um, just kind of along those lines, in terms of, you know, retention kind of goes hand in hand with with hiring as well, because I'm sure you guys have... you know people come in the whether they're seasoned already or just out of training they ask a lot of the same questions you know what do you find are the the key things that they're asking you about is it pay is it work hours is it you know some question around autonomy what do you guys find is a is a most often question when you're when you're hiring someone
1: folks are usually um interested in Depending on what's driving them to make the change, a lot of um, people when they're transitioning to an academic institution, they know that the pay is not necessarily going to be as competitive as it would be in a private environment. So a lot of times these are people who are looking for the the excitement, the innovative procedures, the research, the that piece of it. A lot of the questions that come up will be around call coverage. Um, one, how. How frequently are you asked to take call? And then, two, how many services are you covering call for? Um, Because, like Andy alluded to, you know, as interventional oncology grows, as interventional urology grows, as endovascular surgery grows, um, again, sometimes the hospital system doesn't necessarily understand that those services may be pulling from the same pool of technologists. And so, something that can happen is as you know, maybe a procedure that was done in an IR suite now evolves to a different division or or whatever. The interventionalists are continuing to put patients in those existing suites, but the technologists are left covering one that suite as well as the suite or the procedure has moved to. And so really people are very interested in am I going to be working for um tech, you know, just interventionalists or are we covering you know, for interventional radiology, as well as endovascular surgery, as well as, um, interventional urology, so forth and so on. So that's, that's a big question that we get is, you know, and what, what team am I joining?
0: Yeah. And I, I think it's interesting because you have, you know, as MIPS grow, you know, in, in popularity and, and increase in, and in numbers, uh, our, our job security is definitely high, <laughs> um, <laughs> But but it does create a lot of stress for the people that are in the field, especially um, as you are covering more and more, more and more departments and more and more interventionalists.
2: Yeah, and since we're kind of on, on this topic right now, I'm going to jump into some of the questions that, that I got from the audience, from actually some technologists I hear uh, locally in Dallas. Um, are there any studies being done that you know of or in process on? on working maybe a shorter work week, a 32-hour work week, or I guess with a 72-hour pay period, or (laughs) letting techs basically have one day off, or anything like that that can help prevent
0: burnout? Um, I I personally am not aware of any studies, um, but anecdotally, I think we have, um, at UVA, we have a variety of shifts that our tech group takes advantage of, you know, 5.8s, 4.10s, 3.12s. But I, I, you know, whatever works for, that hospital and that system, you know, and, and it doesn't impact patient care negatively, I think, I think it's important to have a little bit of flexible flexibility, you know, because people, people (laughs) want to have a life outside of work. Yeah. Um, another question that came up is, you know, we, we talked about
2: industry, you know, text leading to industry, uh, but that's not always a great fit for some people, right. Whether it be personality or they, you know, I mean, industry is not like, there, there's burnout there too. I mean, they're still taking call. They're still working on the weekends, covering cases. Um, so the hours might not be less, the pay might be better, but the hours might not be less. And so it doesn't really, it may not be the solution to burnout necessarily. Um, but you know, it's what, I guess some of our local techs have seen is people leaving IR because of that feeling of burnout or the calls too much. And they actually go to other modalities, you know, whether MRI or CT. Have you guys seen much of that, Um, Alicia?
1: So we haven't lost, um, I can't really say that we have lost technologists to other modalities. Um, Again, most of the folks that we've lost at UVA, it's either been, they've had an opportunity to cross over into industry and it was a better fit for them. Or again, because we are a, uh, we have an in-house training program, folks will come and they'll say, you know what, I learned a lot that first year. I'm gonna stay on and I'm gonna learn for a couple more years and then I'm either gonna move closer to home or you know, I'm gonna make a, a move, um, and a career advancement move. And so I cannot speak to uh us losing too many folks to other modalities.
0: Yeah, I, I don't know as though I can think of any example of of somebody going to another modality. Um, but but I think that kind of thing is pretty self driven. So I mean, for me, I have a tremendous amount of respect for what I don't know. And I, I still feel like I have an obligation to offer my patients, my skills and knowledge in IR. Gotcha.
2: Yeah. I mean, it might be more of a private practice thing, but uh, that was just one question that tech had is, yeah, I guess something that they noticed locally. Um, I want to talk a little bit about, you know, working relationships with doctors. We talked about, you know, that mutual respect being a very important factor. Uh, in, uh, you know, you know, job satisfaction, uh, and, you know, respect obviously leads to you, you know, retention, uh, longevity of career, um, mutual respect on the team, you know, not barking orders at, uh, at each other. I mean, I've seen technology, I've, tech- I've seen it go the reverse way too. Um, you know, especially when you have a young IR or even a trainee and you have an older technologist, uh, seasoned technologist who you know where the the disrespect can go either way you know right. and you guys may have seen Absolutely. that too um but how do you do, how do you deal with the that those disrespectful relationships um and is this a major source of turnover that you've seen cuz i mean then you know you can see how it, it there's there can be a downward spiral right once a tech leaves you have um more call and more work time and, and it can put the burden on the other technologists especially if it's like one bad player how do you deal with that and I'll start with you, uh, Alicia.
1: So I would say that, you know, you go back to, I remember you're in elementary and you're like this kid and your mom's like, well, that kid's in middle school and that kid's in high school and then that kid's in college. And that kid just keeps popping up all through your life. Um, just that disrespectful individual. I would say that um, I have had the good fortune of, of having limited interaction with people that were truly disrespectful in my career, but. Um, that when I do have those interactions, it makes the relationship that I have with my other teammates exponentially more important to me. Um, And again, it also makes me, in those moments when someone is being disrespectful, um, whether it's, you know, there's different kinds of disrespect. There's moments where people are either discrediting your opinion, or there's moments where people, um, you, you don't feel like you're heard. And then there's moments where people are just being jerks. But In those moments where maybe someone is discrediting my opinion or I feel like what I would like to offer to the case, um, I mean, it can be something as simple as, you know, that that sheath isn't going to be long enough or that catheter is not going to get you there. You can't put that coil through there and and someone telling you otherwise. Um, In those moments, it's very important for me to be able to fall back on the good relationships that I have, the moments where I am respected, um, and the expertise that I know I hold. And I'm saying, you know what? Like in this moment, this person is is the physician and I'm here to just move this this case forward in the way that they want. But this is one person I'm I'm going to, I'm not going to focus on this situation. I'm going to focus on all the good that I am able to do with the other folks that I have relationships with in the hospital. And also, you know, if it gets to be too much technologists, you have resources. And, you know, I would encourage people that, you know, move through the appropriate channels and say like, hey, this person is just creating an environment where I I can't, I cannot function. I, you know, my teammates can't function. I don't feel like we're, we're working in, in a way that is allowing us to take care of this patient in the best possible way.
0: Andy, what's your take on it? Yeah, um, kind of just piggybacking on what she said, but I, I think there's a number of different ways that you can look at it. Um, you know, my, my go-to is usually like look introspectively, you know, like what did I do or what can I do better? Um, and, and kind of move through that, uh, scenario in my head before I respond to anything. I tend to, I tend to not say anything until I'm sure I know what I want to say. Uh, and then, you know, there's other times where the doctor's just having a bad day and, you know, you just have to have a little bit of thick skin. Um, you know, uh, I think uh, nobody deserves to be treated disrespectfully, you know, and if it's something that's an ongoing thing, then I think, as Alicia alluded to, I think I, you know, need to move the appropriate channels to, to address that situation.
1: You know, to Andy's point, and, and you said sometimes, you know, you'll get a young IR or someone. I think that it's important for us, all of us in healthcare, to just give each other a little bit of grace. You know, like Andy said, sometimes people are just having a bad day. And I, I do try to Give people the benefit of a doubt until things prove to be patterns. People people have bad days. There's tremendous amount of responsibility on on everyone. Is this disrespect stemming from, you know, someone's insecurity, or is this disrespect stemming from the fact that someone is just a jerk? You know, how can I before I get defensive or before I make it about me in that situation, how can I try to move things forward in the right direction and deal with the other piece later?
0: I I will say um, one additional thing here is is you know, if, if you are working with somebody that is just generally, you know, for lack of a better term, a jerk, um, you know, I think that definitely can be a cause for, um, for staff retention issues, you know, and until that situation is addressed, you're going to be dealing with that.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I think those are very important uh, and helpful tips for, for our audience. And, um, I think also, you know, more reps with the individual, more do scrub more cases. Like you said, patterns will arise and, um, you know, sometimes things just get smoothed over, or smoothed right. out over time. Right. Um, and you learn each other's idiosyncrasies and you're like, okay, well, I won't do that again. And I, you know, uh, this is how we work best together, you know? Um, because once somebody, I mean, it is so important to have a well-trained uh, you know, we'll train staff all together, techs and nurses, uh, and you hate to lose somebody over something that was just a mis, you know, miscommunication or misunderstanding, Mm you know? I mean, Uh, we're, we're all human, right? So, right. Exactly. Yeah. And like you said, we all have bad days, uh, physicians, especially
0: (laughs) worse than anybody. (laughs) Yeah. You guys, you guys have a lot on your plates too. Yeah. Right. yeah. um, (laughs) Yeah. Well, um,
2: this has been a great discussion guys. We're wrap we're getting close to the hour here. I just wanted to see if you guys had any
0: closing remarks before we we finish up here. I'll start with you Andy. Um no, not not really. I think uh I think I'm going to leave the floor for for Alicia to kind of talk about what we're doing with our program. But I uh really really appreciate you having us on. Yeah, Alicia, tell us about the program.
1: Sure. So, I'm just going to shamelessly plug right here. <laughs> Um, so, like we talked about in the beginning, um, there's been a lot of things challenging recruitment of IR technologists to pursue structured education, and um, so in the past couple of years, I've been very challenged in my thinking. And you know, I, I keep telling myself, I you know, I'm looking at the recruitment issue, I'm looking at the education issue, I'm looking at the attainment issue, and I wholeheartedly believe that. I wholeheartedly believe that structured education is going to organically resolve some of these other issues that are facing technologists. Like I said, if people, you know, we talk about the autonomy, we talk about the engagement, we talk about feeling like you're part of the team. And I think that in order for folks to do that, we have to empower them and we have to make technologist education a big part of the IR culture moving forward. So, um, you know, I've wanted this rigorous standard of education for technologists, but I also want to make sure that I'm making that pathway obtainable for people regardless of their economic situation. And so um, in in trying to couple our uh, couple the education model that we want with um, being realistic about meeting folks where they are. I'm really excited to uh, share with the world that we have changed the program at UVA to a paid intern model. And so what we're going to do is we want to acknowledge the hard work of the technologists that have, you know, they've gone through their degree program, they have obtained their uh, credentials in X-ray and they want to move into an IR technologist role. And so we're going to be offering folks uh, diagnostic technologist wages. So whatever the starting rate for a diagnostic tech is at UVA, you know, you come in and we pay you that and you sign a one-year contract where that basically, um, again, that one year is going to mimic a, an IR fellowship. And we're going to part you, partner you with uh, technologist mentors, and we're going to provide you uh, focused clinical education, um, and we're also going to provide you core curriculum, didactic lectures, uh, dedicated time for you to sort of comprehensively learn IR from the ground up, starting with anatomy and moving through diagnostic, imi- I'm sorry, diagnostic uh, inventory and then interventional inventory, and finally um, procedures and just give you the whole picture. So I'm hoping that that pathway is going to uh, be reproducible. I want other hospitals to say, you know what, um, this is something we can do. We can bring techs in, we can, um, dedicate time for this and we can, um, ultimately start to, to change the retention, uh, in our labs.
2: Very cool. I I like that. I think that's, that's a great incentive to, to get people, you know, uh, in, you know, more involved from the get-go and, and kudos to you guys for being innovative in, uh, in the education side. Um, all right, well, thank you guys so much. Um, I think that about wraps it up and I'm sure we missed, you know, several things that we could always cover on a, on a second episode. I would love to have you guys back on and, um, again, appreciate your time and, uh, let us know if we, you know, the back table team can do anything for you guys in terms of getting the word
0: out. Yeah, I think, um, I think it wouldn't be a bad idea to put some show notes or contact information for, for anything that uh may crop up in the listeners uh questions and that kind of thing.
2: Yeah, we'll do. Yeah. We 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 have got a great dedicated team to our show notes and they usually get them out within a week or two and we'll add these resources, uh, you know, links to the the training program and we can add y'all's contact information as well. Excellent. All right. Thank you. Thank you guys. Take care. Have a good weekend.